Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 101 part-time jobs. 101 Time job. 
listening to 101 part-time jobs where i speak to bands about the different stuff they've done in order to survive playing music including the different side hustles they've had along their way on today's episode is colin doran from 100 reasons releasing their first album in over 15 years this friday it's called glorious sunset anyone who totally fell in love with ideas above our station will absolutely be stunned by this record i'd be lucky enough to hear it in full and it's the best record they've done no question before we get to colin shout out to 2000 trees festival who support 101 part-time jobs every day this week they're announcing a band for their lineup this summer on tuesday they announced black honey yesterday the hurt process and today they've shared that zulu will be playing if you haven't heard zulu they're an amazing hardcore band Every day this week until next Tuesday, they're going to be announcing a new band with another huge announcement on that Tuesday, 28th of Feb, joining the already stacked lineup, including Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, 100 Reasons, Joyce Manor, Crows, Sprints. There's just so many. I'll have the full list of new bands announced for you next week. But in the meantime, keep an eye on 2003's social media pages to stay up to date with all the announcements. If you know you want to go to Trees but haven't got your ticket yet, hurry up if you want to get an instalment ticket. They're only available till the end of this month. And if you want to buy your ticket outright, you can get 20 quid off the price by using the voucher code 101POD. That's 101POD at checkout, 2000treesfestival.co.uk. Save yourself 20 quid. All right, here's Colin from 100 Reasons and 101 Part-Time Jobs. Go well. Cheers. Like there's a lot more transparency now than there was about playing in bands. Yeah, well, I think it's just more, there's more accessibility as well. You know, social media has brought things along where beforehand, if you wanted to know anything about a band, you had to wait till next week when the magazine came out. Um, and then there would be pretty much nothing in between. Um, and you might hear them on the radio or maybe there'd be an interview here and there. Maybe there'd be like a BBC Made Avail session or something. Yeah, you'd wait for that Made Avail session, yeah. wouldn't you? And if your band was played on it, you would sit by the radio. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's just more about accessibility. And I think, um, you know, over the years, you know, I think a lot of it has been, not in a bad way either, sort of de-glamorised. I mean, I was chatting last night. We had a rehearsal last night. And we were rehearsing with a guy called Jack who plays guitar in Marmosette. So he's like our second guitar player. Amazing band. Yeah, and he's amazing as well. He's lovely. So rehearsals have been going absolutely incredible and we're just over the moon. And Jack was talking about, uh, and we were talking about a festival we did years ago in Austria or somewhere, Vienna. I don't know, I can't remember where exactly, but we literally went in, sounded absolutely terrible, played at two in the morning. Kind of what was the point of that? And then Jack said, yeah, we did the one somewhere where they flew in. They couldn't make the time they were hoping to make because, you know, there was like delays with the flights. And they said, look, we're going to be in at this time or whatever. And the festival promoter was like, yeah, well, we still want you to play. Come in, come along. They ended up playing at sort of half one in the morning. They're all absolutely shattered because they've been sat around at the airport all day. And then they go and play the show and you still kind of get some enjoyment. I think you always get some enjoyment out of playing a show. But, you know, they're kind of like, 
just done and and people are like you know <laughs> it was a really kind of like you know non-glamorous you know way of of things um and then sometimes it's amazing you know you go to award shows yeah you hang out with great bands as well and get to see loads of other bands and stuff when you're playing festivals so there's a definite a bonus side but i think sometimes you know people get caught up in the romance of it and there is a very real side of it where you're like bloody hell i'm knackered <laughs> yeah yeah well i want to talk to you about you know how you kind of identify that as a, a job albeit obviously like a fun one I, I'll, I want to get back to get to that later but I suppose that's like a good place to start isn't it because look you, you, you stopped you were kind of playing some shows between 2010 you know for those years afterwards but coming back with Glorious Sunset now and coming back with a, a new record a new campaign you know you get back on the horse it seems like from an outside point of view you're fully back on the horse you know the music industry changes every year. Yeah. What's it like coming back when, you know, you've had these, these years away, you know, and I suppose I'm thinking, you know, social stuff is obviously a big thing to think about the way that you're reaching people because you, you, you're a band and it's an audience, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a conversation there. And I suppose those platforms are always changing. What's it like coming back to how it, how it works today? Well, I think me personally, I'm not like a big social media fiend, but I'm, you know, I've, I've always been into technology anyway, and I love video games and computers and things like that. So for me, it's not anything that's particularly alien. It's just a different way of reaching your audience. And you sort of have to understand that certain audiences use certain platforms and, you know, you need to, you know, direct your content accordingly. Um, you know, for us, we haven't done anything on TikTok. Now, if somebody wants to do a track on TikTok, by all means, but we're not consciously telling but you know doing stuff on tiktok or anything like because it's just, that's not us and it doesn't work for us um and you know we're just we're sort of, we're older now um so for us it was it's not really about worrying about whether the music industry has changed or not it's just that we've we've got something that we're very proud of artistically um and you want people to hear it you want to put it out and we're, we're kind of in a i would say you know a privileged position where there's people out there that still care what we do um, you know, and the reception to the new stuff has been amazing, but that's just how you communicate with your audience now. Yeah. I would argue, and again, I can be corrected always and never say I'm 100% right, but when I think about our audience, they're a little bit older anyway. They don't need to be bombarded with, you know, 50 messages a day. Whereas if it's a pop artist and the fans are on social media constantly, that works for them. But there's also stuff that's been talked about in terms of, I don't know if you know about the Music Managers Forum and stuff, but they talk about things like um, digital burnout where artists are spending so much time trying to curate their socials that it's kind of at the expense of their mental well-being and creativity, but the labels are pushing them to do it. So that's something that comes up a lot on this, um, which is the, the time that you allow yourself to grow, not in the public yeah. eye. So being able to play years of gigs without having anyone film it, without anyone posting it on their stories. I mean, that allows you time to grow. I mean, like any artist, if you want to, if you want to be a lifer like that's you have to grow you're going to go through some 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 dense years of, yeah. of growth yeah i think so um i don't think anybody is necessarily if you're trying to make it in the music industry i don't think anybody's truly ready you just kind of have to be you know the, the music industry just decides <laughs> sort of when you when you come into it um because if you released a, you know and again if you've released a great track you might not think it's going to do much but if someone picks it up and then an A&R person thinks it's amazing and then you start having conversations and so on and so forth you know what it really is is as soon as you're out there it doesn't matter what level you're at you know things can happen in two minutes or two years um you yeah. know 
And it's that moment that you're going to be judged by a lot of people. Yeah. If you're spotlighted, if you're on the front cover of, you know, if you're spotlighted on, on Spotify, or if you're playlisted in a massive thing, that one song, those two songs are going to be what you're judged yeah, on. I think so. But but then again, you know, but people do grow in the public eye. They do it all the, the time. And even sort of going back to Taylor Swift, you can see how when she was like 15 or 16 doing country records and now she's like, you know, this pop superstar, you know, so people grow. Yeah. Um, I think the yeah. thing is sort of when you're yeah. growing, you're just making sure that it's, it's something you're comfortable with and the rate that you're growing is what you're comfortable with. But most people that are really good are at least when they're out the starting gate, they're half decent. So, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what gets you the recognition, like having something about you that, that, that people think is good. Um, and obviously if you're not very good, then that sadly gets found out quite quickly too. Talking about that hard work, those years of playing of playing shows, those hours spent in a practice room, prioritizing music over school or relationships and just life entirely, paying rent, having your own flat. You know, when I when I talk about that, what are the main memories that you have? I mean, you must be, you know, hanging out with the other members of Hundred Reasons a lot in the, you know, recently. You must have sort of you know be, talked about old days and you know old memories and and things that you know you haven't thought about in years. What are some memories from those days of of graft that that you know have come back to you now? I mean, it's things like because we're sort of playing shows again. You know, we saw like the other week. You know, obviously we're playing Two Thousand Trees, which we're super excited about. But rival schools are playing as well, and sadly, I don't think on the same day, which is gutting for us. But we did some really early shows with rival schools. And I remember, and I can remember, I think it was like actually like December the 19th, 2000, maybe 2000, and maybe 2001. But I remember it like that date. It was probably 2000, actually, because that was kind of like Andy Buse's birthday. So the day before, we literally drove to Leeds, like after work, drove to Leeds, and we're down south. So we drove to Leeds, played a show supporting rival schools, waited for rival schools to finish, then drove our gear and I think some of their gear and band members to Gatwick Airport so that they could go and get their flights home. And then we went home and all went to work the next day. And it was Andy Buse's <laughs> birthday and he was starting a new job. <laughs> that's brilliant. So that's what you might call a very sort of unglamorous thing. But, you know, going back to sort of what you mentioned earlier on, when you're trying to do something like this, you have to treat it like a job. Because effectively what you're doing in those early days is you are career building. And that's kind of, at least that's the way you're sort of looking at it. You know, all this graphs, it's, mm. it's different, but it's also no different to, you know, somebody that wants to be like a doctor, you know, you put enough hours into something and you study hard enough and you'll come out the other side, hopefully with the reward of, you know, being able to be a practitioner. It's just the way that people look at the music industry is kind of different to the way you look at that. But it's just like anything else. When you're transitioning from your day-to-day -day life into something that you really want to do, that takes hard work and it takes dedication as Roy Castle would probably say. So the whole point is, is that you do, you treat it like a second job. I wonder if that structure that you start off with or that you build initially, that it, that structure, that infrastructure, that doesn't change no, because, whether you're popular or, yeah. or, or playing to a few people. Exactly. And when you're like practicing, no one's phoning anybody up and going, oh, are you going to be able to make practice tonight or whatever? Everyone's there. Yeah. Just there. There shouldn't ever be, The yeah. only time you get a phone call from somebody about practice is if they're sick and they can't make it you know, which is obviously fine, but that's the way you, it has to be. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably where a lot of people maybe sort of when they stop trying to do this thing, they fall down because they don't have the discipline to understand that it's almost like, you know, I'm not going to the pub tonight because I'm going to work. And if you think of it that way, it, it's a good thing.
it kind of makes it, make, it makes it unsurprising then that so many bands look up to punk rock bands like the Minutemen, uh, like Black Flag, yeah. whose whose dedication was like so fucking tough. Those stories of Black Flag <laughs> are gnarly. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that, <laughs> you know. And and talk about rival schools. You know, were you fans of Quicksand? Were oh, you yeah, fans yeah. of Gorilla Biscuits? Yeah, not so much um, Gorilla Biscuits. Not that I didn't like them. I just never really sort of got into them. But I loved Quicksand back in the day and stuff. Yeah. And so when you know during that time where I, that that was my heyday of buying Kerrang, and it was such an exciting time and. I think it, after the years, I would, I'm probably guilty of thinking, you know, I, I have been that person, you know, more internally than externally, but be like, oh, the local scene sucks. But I realized all these, th all these things have their moments and there's always going to be youth culture. Yeah. There's always going to be exciting art. There's always going to be touching music. What was it like for you personally when you know MTV2 and the Brown Couch and Gonzo mm -hmm. and Kerrang and and all that stuff that you know you you were an amazing band and on top of that there was a a signal boost I suppose for bands like you it was just exciting you know and we were the thing around that time is there was just so much good music and it was good people as well so everyone was sort of in it for the right reasons we just want to play great shows and have fun playing music and that's what was really quite nice about it. And the sort of the camaraderie that was around everybody, everyone was sort of trying to give each other a leg up and, you know, and promoting each other and all of those types of things. So it was just, um, it's not that everybody even sort of came from the same town. It was just that when everybody was, everybody knew that we were all kind of doing this thing for a bit and it was nice and everybody appreciated the position they were in because again, right, there's a very high failure rate when it comes to doing stuff like this. So everybody was sort of appreciative of where they were and what they were able to do. So you're like, oh, we're off to Japan or to do a festival in Europe or something. It was cool. And mm. you were glad to do it because that's what you wanted to do and you're getting to do that. So um, yeah. yeah, no one sort of seemed to take it for granted. It was nice. It was like, if, if one band wins, then everyone else wins. And then the audience wins. Because yeah, exactly. then those tours will go to different towns. I was from near Milton Keynes. So I'd start going to shows at the pits. I'd also go to all ages shows in St. Albans at the skate park yeah. there, Pioneer. Uh, introduced to Enter Shikari and Gallows. And later on, my teenage bands mm -hmm. played our first gig supporting Enter Shikari. And well, look, these, like, I don't even look at it like nostalgia. Like that's the same pocket of magic that I carry now yeah you know if i'm a bit low i think okay well what can i do now that is inspired by then so i it's, it's I, I don't think you know nostalgia it's, it's not always a negative thing do you know what i mean i think about nostalgia a lot and it boosts me forward today yeah i mean i think that's nostalgia is good it is it's a positive thing um and you should be able to look back on things and remember them fondly um because that's generally the way i sort of view nostalgia it's like you're looking back and going yeah, cool. and yeah you can you can understand that sometimes things weren't always perfect, but and you still it doesn't mean that you've forgotten about that. But yeah, I love all that stuff. You know, thinking back to the times you sort of had back in the day. You know, I don't sort of necessarily sort of dwell on the negative anyway because that's just not how I am as a person. So for me, it's just going. Yeah, you got to meet a bunch of cool people. You had a really good time. We got a bunch of stories to tell. Um, and you've, you know, the, I suppose the easiest way to say this is you've lived a life. You know, you've done something that is of value. And, you know, music changes people and it, it benefits people. It's an amazing thing. It's a healing tool. It's all these things. Um, so, you know, to have your music affect people in a hopefully a very positive way or help them through a tough time or something like that, that's very powerful. And I think a lot of the time when we listen to records, they do, they capture a moment in time. And I always remember listening to 
sort of far water and solutions over a summer or something like that and all your mates are into the record as well and we're you know we're going to go and watch the band play and it's great and that's the thing that it drives it's music goes beyond the, the content on the disc or on your streaming platform or whatever it's it's more than that and you know lots of time like we say you can think about moments that music's captured you know and the yeah. that's what they say you know like the soundtrack to, what's the soundtrack to your life or the soundtrack to your, that summer that year and that's what's special about it so for me nostalgia is it's a great thing because you know you can look back on arguably more less complicated times in some cases for some people you know and that's what i think is a good thing about it what have Part-time jobs, one hundred one. Part-time jobs, one hundred one. Part-time jobs, one hundred one. Part-time jobs. You mentioned earlier, you know, rushing back from Leeds down south to go back to work the next day. One of the members is starting a job the next day. How many jobs did you have, you know, during those earlier years before? I only really had about sort of what I would call while I was whilst I was in the band i suppose i had one job which was like um in retail where i was working in a video game shop that did secondhand stuff and new stuff which was really good fun that's perfect that's so aesthetically that's so like the great storyline of a, <laughs> of someone playing in a band isn't exactly it? and then i moved on to um i quit that job um because the boss was a bell end really um and <laughs> then i um got another job in another video shop with a very nice guy and sadly that just didn't work out financially and I ended up just in a call center for BT. And what were you selling? Um, BT. I, I was helping people with their phone bills. So they would phone up and I would help them and I would use every means necessary for them to sort that, you know, sort them, sort them out. I'm one of those type people. I want to help people. And if, you know, so they would phone up and say, I can't pay my phone bill or something like that. What can you do? And I'd be like, well, I can, you know, work the system as best as I can to help you out. And I did that. And the people that I worked for were actually, it was like a contract thing, but they were really nice. And they kind of let me take the piss out of them a bit in fairness, because I'd be like, I know I haven't put the time off, but I've got a show tonight in Manchester and I really need to go. Can I go early? And they'd go, yeah. But they were they were just really nice. And I even remember like winning like the Karangalore for Best New British Band. And then we went to back to work the next day because we hadn't signed a deal and you still got to pay the bills. But it was quite cool when you're like there hungover and everyone's like, you're all right. I'd go, yeah, I've just been to like a rock awards and won an award. <laughs> but now I'm helping people with phone bills again. So what that does though, is that keeps you quite grounded. Were you living at uh, your parents? Were you living at home? What no, was I, sort of... I moved out when I was 17. That's quite young, isn't it? Well, yeah. So I kind of ended up just kind of going to a few different sort of places. When I was in 100 Reasons and we were starting to do things, I was living with a band called Vex Red. So um, they were my housemates and they sort of won this competition with Ross Robinson, where Ross Robinson said, you know, send in your demo. I'm in hospital in London or whatever, send in your demos because I'm bored and then I'll pick a winner and record them and sign them and everything. And they won that. <laughs> and I was literally at that. Ross house. Robinson, the Slipknot producer. Yes. So that was cool. I mean, it was cool. I was a little, I think I was a little bit jealous at the time, but not, but in fairness, you know, we kind of had our own thing going on anyway, which is really cool. You know, I think our manager had already come around and said, you know, Columbia were kind of talking and being a little bit interested, which was awesome. But they got this phone call out of the blue, literally. And my friend Nick picked up the phone. He was just like, literally, it's Ross Robinson. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And then I was like, oh, I've got to move out then, haven't I? Because <laughs> they were going to sort off to LA and, you know, start start doing what they were doing. Um, so, yeah, those that was quite funny. Um but, um, you know, I, I still stay in touch with some of them. Anthony Forbes, you know, is our is our tour manager when we do our shows, okay. you know. Um, okay. And he was the guitar player in the band. And 
housemate there, which is really cool. Um, yeah, it was good fun. In that situation, you're not alone if you know you've got other friends playing in other bands, yeah, and you can talk to each other about how you operate. When Hundred Reasons was presumably your priority, did, did, you know, did you talk a lot about in the band, and and did you have other friends? I mean, how kind of open were you to yourself and to bandmates and friends about what you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it, how you saw it happening? I think we were open with each other um, in the band in terms of, you know, where we saw things going and what we were trying to achieve and, and that kind of thing. But um, sort of sharing it with other bands, you know, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't. I mean, I, you know, I was quite lucky. I spent some time with some cool people. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you're on tour, you bond with other band members as well, from other bands, support bands or headlining bands. And you sit there and you talk about things and you find out stories that have sort of happened behind the scenes and, you know, and whatever that you, you know, that I wouldn't share with anybody else. Um, but, you know, as far as kind of like consciously going out to do that, it's, yeah, it's not something that sort of crosses your mind, but, you know, you're in a bar with somebody in another band and you're sitting there chatting, you've had a few drinks or whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's, you know, a human being. And, um, and so, yeah, you do talk about things, but, in terms of sort of career and stuff, we, you know, obviously you do that because you're in a band and you have a manager and that stuff's plotted out. Five year plan. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, whereas the other stuff about sort of being in a band and some of the, you know, I, I suppose in a way, just to digress a little bit, I think I, you know, I know people can sort of talk about people like Ed Sheeran being super megastars and stuff, but he's like a sole performer on his own on stage every night. And that can have a very taxing impact on your mental health. Because even though you can be friends with people around you, a lot of them are working for you. So they're still not necessarily on your level. Whereas if you're in a band, you sit down and you go, do you know what, really missing my girlfriend this week or, you know, stuff's going on or, you know, whatever. You know, you can mm -hmm. talk to your bandmates about that stuff um, because mm -hmm. you're all in the same boat together. But, you know, if you're in a position where you're like a super megastar like Ed Sheeran, you know, I'm sure he has coping mechanisms and people that help him get through that stuff. But I can imagine that actually being a little bit, you know, kind of quite isolated because everyone around you might be really nice because that doesn't make them not nice. But they're not necessarily what you call your that they're not in the same position you are. Did you ever struggle with anything, anything specifically? Like, I mean, did you struggle with self doubt ever? I mean, you're, you're the, you're the vocalist, you're, you know, you're the singer, you're kind of pushed to the front of the stage a lot of the time. I, I think, I think you can always have a little bit of self doubt, but I think that's a good thing. You know, I think the moment you kind of go on and just kind of think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confident is what I am because that's what you have to be to get on stage and do those things. But I'm confident because I know I'm going on stage with, great players that know what they're doing as well so we all know what we're doing so then you kind of have that camaraderie of going on and doing that so I kind of used to have a bit of nerves back in the day um, when I was starting out but I have a little bit of healthy nerves now before you go on stage because when you go out on stage and you're going to perform to people that have paid money to come and see you play it's important um, and things are important you know you should have a little bit you know of a uh, little bit of jitters but everybody's confident that you know when you go and play a show it's going to be a good time and it's going to be great but that's probably about sort of as far as it goes. I think um, I think in the early days, you kind of have a little bit of self-doubt because, you know, what I don't, I don't seek validation from anybody other than the people in the band, really, because, you know, that's, you know, everybody's kind of has to earn their position within it. Um, so that's the only way I think I probably seek validation, um, but not really from anybody else.
that seems like a really healthy way. I mean, it's it, like talk about skateboarding again. If you're skating with a friend, you kind of you, you kind of ladder each other up, don't yeah, you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I used to skateboard back in the day as well, um, and it was great fun. Um, and that's kind of almost what we used to do as well. We'd sort of hang out and do not all of us, but me and uh, Andy Buse would sometimes every now and then do a bit of skateboarding and hang out. Yeah. And um, but we had like a little bit of a skate crew back in the day, and you'd go and hang out in the car parks and just have fun and no I wasn't brilliant at it and I didn't get great but I just enjoyed it's not about that exactly just enjoyed the hangout you know and I definitely could do like a few tricks and stuff but it was just fun um it also seemed like a time where sort of fracture zine or magazine and like route one was kind of coming out and there was a bit of a culture where it was quite empowering I felt yeah well that's what it is you know skateboarding to me is so kind of infused with music um that it, it's kind of it's its thing and you know i used to watch all the skate videos well i discovered like a band called texas a reason they were like some skate yeah. video i watched back in the day and yeah. i don't know what the video was now i think it had like it was like andrew reynolds and steve bearer and all that so lot sick. which were awesome to me they were like the gods rodney mullen and all that back in the day um yeah yeah it was really andrew good. reynolds is a total legend there's just a yeah. new vice do that epically latered series on youtube and there was just one that a new one that came out with andrew reynolds about him being a father it's mm. so rad it's so good i might watch that you might have to sort me out the link but i love um yeah i loved i, I was definitely a fan of the people that did the street skating over like yeah. you know and again it's no you know it's, it's all brilliant but for me i just loved all yeah. the street skating when they were doing like you know k grinds down you know <laughs> handrails and stuff and all that kind of thing it was insane i'm like I, I, yeah i'd die but it's great <laughs> other people be brilliant um and there's a camaraderie and a you know maybe a bit of humbleness and a kind of you know authenticity certainly in skateboarding that goes hand in hand with music do you think that put you in good stead as a, as as an individual in you know in a group of friends playing music to sort of try and you know I use the word priority prioritize a lot but you know prioritize the important shit yeah because um, it's not always easy to do that but I think also you know being in a job that you shouldn't care about you know I think is a good thing some people that I knew from sort of back in the day got you know they wanted to do what they wanted to do and they wanted to be creative but they got caught up in the the day job sort of becoming all encompassing. So right. I was in jobs where that didn't happen. You know, if I was in retail, the shop closed at five o'clock or five thirty, I'm going home. Or I'm gonna go out clubbing, I'm gonna go skateboarding, go to practice, yeah. do what I do, you know, to to have, you know, to do what I do. Um was that a struggle when the band became your job then? Well yeah, I gave up skateboarding because if you break your legs while skateboarding or whatever, you can't play shows. But but like taking home those feelings, you know, taking home a row or a bad gig or a bad writing session. No, because we'd never had the expectation that every gig had to be amazing and every writing session had to be, you know, productive. And if we weren't writing something great that night, then you just rehearse the set and play songs instead. So you know, when we used to practice, there used to be sort of four hour sessions and they probably ended up being about two and a half by the time you're kind of set up and broken down or whatever with a few breaks in between. So you do that sort of most nights. And you sound very smart. It sounds like a very level headed thing to do, especially for some, you know, young men. Well, I think you kind of have to be, you know, to a certain degree, you know, if you're out getting drunk every night, you're not practicing properly and you're not playing shows well you know so that's always the way that we sort of look at things um you know sort of make of that what you will but it's just kind of the way that we wanted to do it and it wasn't like a conscious decision it was like if you want to do this you've got to take it seriously and to do that you need to be good live and you need to write good songs 
So do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, um, it seems to, it seems uh, to me to like, you know, have being a bit like having a bit of a, a mellow outlook, a pretty relaxed outlook on life very much helps as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but that's just being young. And I think it's a lot more sort of difficult for younger people these days to be relaxed because there just seems to be, I mean, there's definitely pressures when you're younger back in my day, but there seems to be a lot more now. And I think people that are older like myself almost take for granted that, you know, it's all very easy to go you, to some people, you know, you to sell it, put your big boy pants on and stuff like that or whatever. But these days, you know, I, you know, I've got my own son who's nearly eight years old and, you know, you, you don't have to worry about absolutely everything. But when you see stories about, you know, what kids are going through at the moment, social media, having technology really early on. And if you don't have it, you're missing out. And if you do have it, you can run into trouble on it, you know, and then mm -hmm. sort of being a young person. I always find as well, you know, when people are sort of, you know, because I'm in education now and you're like 18 years old and you're, you're making decisions that are supposed to affect the rest of your life and get 60 grand into debt for it. You know, yeah. I think pressure like that, um, particularly if a person hasn't decided what they want to do by that age, I think is really detrimental. Um, so I think, yeah, I, th I think it's, we're kind of in a world now that is arguably on one side, completely and utterly brilliant in terms of how open-minded people are. But in the other side, the other 50% are completely bigoted and closed-minded. And I don't know if that's a true thing or it's just my own sort of perception of the world, but I definitely sort of wonder how it got that way. Because people seem to care a lot more and in other areas care a lot less. I often, I think quite a lot and I talk quite a lot about how, you know, we're, we're kind of told that we can do anything. We can go study in Australia and then we can work that job that sounds really interesting. And I think there's so much opportunity and so much possibility that, that globalization and the internet's given us that yeah. actually it kind of makes you want to crawl up inside because it's it's overwhelming. Yeah, I think so. And I, th and I think it comes down to their, you know, for a human being sort of being subjected to so much information um you know they have like days don't they where they say you know switch your phone off week or switch your phone off days and things like that and it's a very difficult thing for people to do um you know i struggle i'm like everybody else you know you're on your mobile device or look right now you know on a mm. video chat you know you're just constantly yeah. looking at things and you know in my browser there's websites open that I need to be on looking at stuff and, you know, probably like you are as well. So it's kind of all of that, you know, we're just information overload. You mentioned you're in education. Yeah. Are you a teacher? Yeah. So I teach um, music business to uh, music production students at an amazing school called Point Blank. So I'm in London. So North London, so Hoxton Way, which is really cool. Um, Brilliant. And yeah, it's just great hanging out with students and, hopefully helping them understand the, the the industry side of things a little bit more great so what we're talking about here i mean that, that this is something that you must think about a lot i care about my students and you know they're trying to get into something that's quite difficult at the best of times you can see not in every student but you can see in, in young people that there's this kind of like like you say there's a lot going on and you know it's easy to turn around and go well things were simpler back then <laughs> you know and effectively they they, they were but also yeah. somebody at that's my age back when I'm young, so to speak. Somebody in the early 90s that's like, you know, in their 40s would probably turn around and say the same thing. Um, how, do, how do you reconcile with the idea that, I mean, lots of bands, uh, you know, a few generations back, 
the Kinks and Beatles to an extent, but then Oasis and ba- bands that were on the dole for yeah. some periods of their early career. Yeah, we, we mentioned earlier about how we need space to grow and time to time to grow. What what advice do you give your your students in that regard? I think it's a lot of it is about sort of time management and treating what you're trying to do for your career as a second job if you're not managing to do it full time already. That's the main thing. Just be professional. And also, so even if no one else uh, is asking you to do it, even if you've got no responsibilities to do it, that, that you, you give yourself the responsibility. Yeah, you should do. Yeah, because the only person that's really going to help you the most is, is you. So, yeah. yeah, you know, you'll get to a point, hopefully, where and at the end of the day, it's just I always say just write great music. And lots of the students that I teach, um, they write like electronic music and some of it is very, very good. But some of the students get a little bit caught up in, you know, the micro genre of what they're doing. And it's like, no, just make great music. Don't worry about what genre it fits in. Write good music. So if yeah. you do that, yeah. you know, people will come on board. Um, don't want, you know, whenever we write, I don't care what I write. OK, I just think, is that a great song? Do I really love that song? Right. It's on the record, you know, and stylistically. Yeah just because I like, I said this before, just because I like rock music, that's primarily what's going to be written. So don't worry about, you know, I had somebody go, yeah, I'm going to do some future drum and bass and then I'm going to get into some melodic drum and bass. I'm like, I don't care. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. And most people yeah. can't. Um, so yeah. don't worry about that. Just write good music. Job done. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. was that period of time when 100 reasons as a full-time thing was winding down and you as members you you were looking towards other things i mean larry hibbert obviously you know brilliant producer has has produced so many great records he's got his brixton studio doesn't he no not anymore he's bought a house with its own studio now brilliant brilliant i mean i mean when when the band was sort of slightly winding down what are the kind of conversations you were having with each other like where did you did you immediately know that you wanted to go into education no, I mean, I think we all scrambled around a little bit. I got a job, I think, at Sharp doing some project management stuff. I worked at, I worked in an accounts department, actually, at an architectural company, which was actually really good because I learned all about credit control and invoicing, which is actually surprisingly useful. And then I moved over to Activision, actually. So because I'd had a musical background, I started working on DJ Hero and Guitar Hero. Um, wow. And I worked with like the music licensing team in the US to help get tracks for those games. And then... I got made redundant from that because they weren't making any more DJ Hero games and Guitar Hero was on the shelf for a bit, so I just wasn't needed, so off I went. And then I was, ended up doing a bit of project management work, and then I ended up working with a guy called Adam Perry, who's the drummer from A, yeah, and working with him on this great idea called Band App, which sadly didn't come to fruition, but it was a great idea. And then whilst I was doing Band App, I kind of went to speak to somebody at a local 
you know, music education place in Guildford. And they were like, well, do you want to come in and do a guest spot? I did that, really liked it. And then started education and kind of moved from there. Brilliant. I mean, what was the, quickly, what, what was the band app idea? It was about actually literally allowing artists to create their own app with our technology to then share that with their fans and sell their merch and have ownership over everything. But um, I think it was just issues with funding and stuff, but it was essentially a brilliant idea. And your first teaching session, do you remember that? Did did it? It went all right. Um, being, you know, on stage and a performer probably helps with stuff like that because even if you're teaching sort of music business, the idea is is to try not to make it super dry. Um, because even if you're sitting in a room with a bunch of drummers and guitar players and vocalists, you know, you still need to be able to say to them, look, this is important and why it's important. Yeah. Um, and it was good fun. I enjoyed it very much. And then I moved on to somewhere else. And then now I'm at Point Blank, where, which I love. Brilliant. Colin, this has been great. I have been jamming Glorious Sunset and it is fucking amazing thank you I'm, i am very 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 proud of that record <laughs> so, it yeah, is I'm glad you... so good thank you that's great. it's your best record it is i agree <laughs> i do a lot of the a lot of the lyrics go into you know there's there's a lot of transparency there there's a lot of it's it's very i don't want to use the word honest but because it, 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 honest is, is such a big word it is so honest and it is so inwards looking and it's just so transparent and it's you know there's a lot of talk about mental health at, at the moment there's a lot yeah. of talk about self-accountability i mean where where were you what kind of headspace were you in when you write those lyrics and and also i was wondering you know are you talking to yourself in a lot of those songs um there's there's a little bit of that um but i think also generally what we did when we when we started demoing we were just capturing moments and moods and i said this the other day when i was talking with larry it was just that was the that's the mood i was in at that time and what i wanted to kind of start talking about at that time so when i was yeah. a lot of the time when i write i don't write lyrics on the spot i put down sketch ideas and then they start to kind of take form um out of the sketch ideas more than anything so you have your melodies but there'll be lines within it that you think that's really cool that's quite cool but what i'm sort of ad-libbing if you will at the time is kind of a little bit about sort of how I'm feeling and what I'm feeling. And then what I do is I just, when I go away to write the lyrics properly, I just articulate that in a, in a clearer way. So really every song we wrote was kind of built out of the mood I was in or what I was thinking or what I was feeling that day. And there was, you know, stuff that sort of went on where there were other lyrics out there for the songs that exist. But then, you know, my mum passed away, pretty obvious. Um, and so, some of the songs lyrics got you know completely changed and worked around you know stuff that was going on with that and and what that did as well is that kind of brought about i think in some cases some people that i was probably maybe angry at that maybe could have you know been a bit more supportive or understood what i was going through and so some of the songs came about about stuff like that so it was yeah, it was it was quite strange where you'd written like a bunch of lyrics for the demo stuff and it was still sort of around that. But then some of the stuff sort of changed just because of like circumstances in my life had changed. Um, but I think it was something that I felt I had to had to do. They, they, they feel very measured, but equally quite impulsive. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, because that's, you know, you I, I think the, the thing is, I think that a lot you know the lyrics are sort of very measured but the but the delivery of the songs is is very much like just a, most of the songs like melody wise were just tidied up from the the demo versions 
So the right. demo versions were really strong, like in all areas, musically, vocal melody wise, it was all really strong. So all it really came down to is when we were writing it and finishing up and actually doing the album recording, which is sort of tidying up some of the melodies here and there. And again, yeah. it was like, it was like, what were you feeling at that time? And what was going on at that time? And maybe that's where the sense of urgency comes from, just because that's what I wanted to get out at that point. Colin, thanks so much. I'm so excited to see you at 2000 Trees. Yep, it's going to be a good one. So yeah, thanks a lot. I'd like to end these with some classic scrapes, classic gaffes from the workplace. <laughs> Have you got any, any sort of work fail memories? I'm going to be honest with you and just say I actually don't have any tremendous work fails that I'm aware of. <laughs> Maybe other people know, but, uh, but I don't. Sorry. Sorry. We'll keep it that way. Oh, hang on. If you're talking about being on stage, I did a show of The Lucky Nine once, walked on stage and it had a hole in the stage that I didn't see. And before we'd even start the first song, put my foot right through and scraped my leg up. Did you finish the set? Yeah, of course I did. Legend. <laughs> All right, Charles. Thank you. All right. So there was Colin from 100 Reasons. I will forever have a live photo from Kerrang with his massive baggy jeans, his giant hair flopping over and a microphone lead flailing somewhere out of the frame. One of my first ever gigs was seeing 100 Reasons at the Pits in Milton Keynes and to do this interview is, is just magic really. Cheers for listening and see you next week for another episode. For now, if you're a regular listener, you know what's coming. It's some Cox Barra from Shock Troops released in 1539 This is a Mighty Moon Media podcast Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.